Hi, I'm Terrell Turner, the host of the Finance and Accounting Show. And today I have another great guest that has a ton of wisdom, insight. And we're going to jump into this because there are a lot of business owners that could use the insight and the things that he and his firm are doing. So stay tuned. Welcome to another episode of the Finance and the Accounting Show. This is the place to go for small business owners. If you're looking for a great way to understand the finance and the accounting side of your business, you're in the right place. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Well, without further ado, let me bring on my amazing guest. <laughs> Sam, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sam, now, you know, before we jump into the details about your firm and the amazing work that you guys do and helping clients, you know, as we were talking before, I mean, you're, you're helping clients all throughout the U.S. And, and probably you guys are probably pushing international and global as well. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how did you get into the type of work that you do? Yeah, no, thank you again for having me. So brief background. Uh, High-level overview. Uh, so I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, as my mother likes to say, in the shadow of a Ford manufacturing plant's smokestack. Uh, I knew there was a big world out there. I never got to see it, so I was determined uh, I was going to go and get me some, as the saying goes. Uh, but I put my way through undergrad, working as a UAW member on an assembly line. Uh, I quickly, after graduation, transitioned to work for a couple of wholesale distributors within the automotive industry, General Motors and Toyota Lexus. Uh, along the way, worked for a couple of consulting firms, but really wrapped up my automotive career by working retail. I had one of my favorite dealers recruit me. We ran a large auto group with several different manufacturers. So I kind of get that industry as well as industry at large from a manufacturing, wholesale distribution, and then retail aspect. I mentioned I worked big consulting. I worked with Deloitte as well as Aon's Change Management Group um, and helped thousands of leaders out really transform their businesses. Uh, started my own consultancy, had it for about five years, and I had one of my favorite CEOs who asked me a question about a tech startup he had. I said, you know, my nature is to help, so what can I do to help? And he said, come and listen to me. Uh, so we connected. He shared what it was that he had in mind. I said, I loved it. What can I do to assist? Would you like me to act as a mentor, board member, et cetera? And he said, I'm glad you like it because I want you to help me run it. So <laughs> so that's what we did. I, I off-ramp from the consulting firm that I had grown from single shingle to about 20 folks. We were working on projects both domestically and internationally. Uh, dove headfirst into a tech startup. Uh, our consulting work is always focused around sales, biz dev, and marketing. And so we implemented the same types of plans that when strategies we'd been helping organizations architect and implement around the world. We grew the revenue ramp in a steep type of a legendary hockey stick graph. We had a couple of private equity firms that got interested in what we were doing at around the 18-month mark one of which ultimately purchased us at the 24-month mark, and I off-ramp shortly thereafter. When I looked around to see what it was that I wanted to do, this is back in the 2012 timeframe, uh, one of my senior partners outreached, and he said, hey, can we, can we put the band back together again, so to speak? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I would like to do that, but I really enjoyed this private equity experience. Uh, I enjoy the entrepreneurial journey. I really liked the, the PE firm that acquired us 
And I said, that's what I want to do. And so we structured a firm that has two sides of the house, still does to this day, and we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We have a consultancy side that we do business transformation consulting, which is change, essentially. Again, heavy focus on sales, biz dev, and marketing. And on the other side, we have a venture side of the house where we do a couple of different things that we can talk about as well. Uh, but that's a brief background on me and where it is that I'm at today. Wow, what an amazing journey. I mean, I, I guess, you know, if we had the ability to go on a time machine and let's go back and find young Sam Palazzolo, it's just like, would you have imagined that, hey, the journey would look anything like that? <laughs> I, I had always hoped, um, but I, I think it's one of those things where somebody told me the other day, hope isn't a strategy. Uh, I don't think it's a very good one. It might be a good visionary. But, you know, I was born and raised in the restaurant business and, I really thought that that was going to be my career trajectory. I thought I was going to become a chef. I thought I was going to become a general manager of a restaurant. I thought I'd own a restaurant someday on my own. I really thought that that was going to be it. Uh, but it's a great background to have because it really laid the foundation for really everything it is that we do today and everything that I do today. You know, every customer service or customer experience, you know, type of a plan that really stems from my time in the restaurant, the hospitality industry back then. So I don't know that I would have envisioned this today, uh, but that's okay because I want to say that my career has taken a series of pivots, uh, some ups, some downs, uh, but it's worked out, you know, so far really great. And I'm approaching the twilight of my career, you know, where I have a 20-year plan. It's a 20-year off-ramp. It's to hit it hard here in the next 10 years and then off-ramp slowly over the, the final 10 years. Uh, but, but I love it, and I love what it is that we do today. Awesome. And that is amazing. I mean, it, it's very interesting you bring up the hospitality you know, background because I, I'm not necessarily sure that a lot of people recognize the significant impact that customer service plays, you know, no matter what type of business that you go in. I mean, you know, when you started getting in, like I said, with, with some of the, the private equity as well as the, you know, with the tech company, um, did you notice that many other people really embraced the customer service experience that you had there? Or was it something that you really had to like really pull on to help people understand like, hey, we got to have good customer service no matter what we do. Yeah, I, I think that certainly without a doubt, the customer experience role, that user interface, user experience plays a vital role regardless of whether you're looking at a technology firm to invest in. It could be a manufacturing firm or a construction firm. You know, on our venture side of the house, we've got a couple of different you know, elements to it or divisions or departments, call it whatever you want. Uh, one is uh, very much a, bunch, a venture fund. Uh, to this day, we still invest in the entrepreneurs who are out there. Hopefully, they're past the ideation phase. We like to target organizations that are about a million dollars uh, post-revenue. So that's always a good place for us. Uh, we also have a business funding aspect of our venture side of the house. Traditionally, entrepreneurs will think of it as a capital raise. Uh, I, With some of the work that I did with the University of London, try to talk most entrepreneurs out of doing a capital raise because I think it's much better to do a customer funded type of a model. And we've identified five different unique ways in which businesses can have their customers fund their operation instead of giving up equity for capital. 
Uh, the third thing, we're a really good M and A firm. Uh, you know, meaning that we're kind of in that we look for small organizations, traditionally led by baby boomers who are looking to exit the economy, or it could be a large organization division that's looking to get spun off or cast off from the conglomerate. Uh, but that's some of the work we do on the venture side. I know your folks, you know, primarily have a finance accounting background who listen in. And, and I come from a long line of accountants. My father was an accountant. His father was an accountant. My great-grandfather accounted sheep back in Italy. So a long line of accountants. <laughs> but it is one of those things where everything in business, we talk, We started out this segment talking a little bit about the customer experience. And customers are important to keep in mind. Equally, if not more important, is to keep the financials in mind. I do not have a personality that blends well within the walls of a CPA firm or an accounting department within a major organization. But I do know this much, and I recognize this, and I'm grateful that my dad gave me the guidance that said, go cut your teeth within an accounting world for a few years because everything comes back to the numbers. You know, mm -hmm. if figures don't lie, but liars figure, the black and the white <laughs> of accounting terms and, and figures will help identify positive or negative ventures that you should explore. So everything comes back to numbers. Customer experience is nice to have, but if the numbers don't bake out, it's probably not going to work. You know, and that's a very interesting point because one of the things that, that I really like to emphasize on the finance and accounting show is just that, you know, it, it, it's great to to have the, I'm a CPA myself, it's great to have the, the skills, the background, but at the end of the day, the financial information should be informing some type of decisions and helping actually give you insight and tell a story about a business. So when you hear a lot of entrepreneurs kind of tell their story about their business and do you find that many entrepreneurs know how to really look at, hey, what's the story that your numbers are telling? Like I hear what you're saying on the marketing end and the pitch you're giving me. But when I look at your numbers, are they telling the same story? Yeah. No, it, it's a great point. I think that pre-pandemic, we probably saw, just like you saw, a lot of organizations that were out there that were the feel-good, success-oriented, almost an Instagram type of a successful mm -hmm. post with this is the type of firm that you should invest in. A lot of it was smoke and mirror. A lot of it was surface layer deep. Post-pandemic, we've really seen people drive towards firms that have three outputs. You know, we're concerned about the health and safety of not only our associates, but those that work with us, meaning the customers. We want to drive home those safety messages just to ensure that you can, the third element, which is trust us. And those three parameters, health, safety, and trust are what it is that we see driving folks successfully forward today. But you're right. I mean, I've taught at the university level since 2008. I'm an adjunct faculty member at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where I teach an exec ed course on the book I wrote in 2018, which is called Leading at the Tip of the Spear, the Leader. I will tell you that everything comes back to the financial number or a key performance indicator or metric. This is where dashboards are so crucial to help you measure what it is that you can manage so that way you can accelerate your business.
Awesome. Now, do you find that a lot of, I would say, a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of business owners, you know, grasp that concept? Or do you find that they tend to be a little bit more married to the product or the solution that they're trying to bring to the market? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter, unfortunately. You know, sometimes you can get paralyzed by the analysis or by the numbers. So from an accounting perspective, I certainly recognize it and I respect it. I think on the other side, though, you know, there are folks who are super talented. Um, you know, part of our holdings are within the manufacturing and construction space. It takes a certain creative person to be able to specifically in construction be successful. You know, you're you're putting yourself out there that really the art that you're presenting or putting together is going to really resonate with the person that purchases it. And so they're going to like it. Well, that artistic ability sometimes is pretty hard to rein in because sometimes artistic ability conflicts with profitability, right? It, yes. it just might not be one of those things where the way that you behave in that creative moment, that artistic moment, doesn't chalk up and put numbers up on that dashboard or the financial statements. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely think that that is a, an amazing point. I mean, which is, you know, while I think it, it's so important, like I said, to get that perspective. And so as you talked about, you know, just the different types of industries that, you know, you guys invest in from a venture perspective, can you tell us a little bit more about the different types of industries and the different types of markets you guys play in? Yeah, so, so we try to not be everything to everyone. Uh, we recognize that that's a sure way to go crazy. And even within the <laughs> industries we operate in, there's a certain degree of craziness that takes place within them, no matter how narrow focused we think that we are. But from an M&A perspective, our specialties or focus areas are industries like manufacturing and construction. They're extremely, as the guys from Harvard would say, unsexy businesses, but they are those that have enduringly profitable year after year they put the numbers up on the board and they ring, ring the bell towards the bank. We like those types of businesses. When it comes to some of the venture play, I came from that tech space. We love the tech space, obviously. The, the multiples are crazy, uh, but it's a great sandbox to play in. And from a creativity perspective, uh, and maybe that's where, you know, as, as accountants and finance folks in private equity, maybe that's artistic, our artistic moment. Right. Uh, when it comes to the consultancy, the business transformation consulting, you know, we work within the same industries, uh, heavy tech focus. So tech is probably our number one uh, calling card. Uh, hardware, software, we're agnostic when it comes to tech industry. We just want to see tech firms succeed and transform their businesses. Awesome. I love it. And now I would say, you know, as a person myself who's been years working in manufacturing with companies like um, Navistar and General Electric to where, you know, it is a it's not the most sexiest business, but the fundamentals of them are, are amazing when you can find a good business and manufacturing business that is run well and that is providing a solution. I mean, that that is amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, the the M&A space, specifically looking at manufacturers, we don't necessarily want to be the miners, so to speak, but we do want to provide the pickaxes and maybe the blue jeans that the miners wear. 
And those types of second or third tier businesses are perfect for our strategy. We also recognize this much that within that enduringly profitable, you know, I'd like to consider us to be smart individuals that come in as owner investors to help not only acquire, but run these operations. But we pale in comparison to the expertise that somebody who's owned the business, started the business and ran the business successfully enough for us to look at acquiring it. Sometimes it's three plus decades in length, right? So even though we'd like to think that we've got it going on and we're going to head in and we're going to we're going to flip some levers up and we're going to turn this thing into a rocket ship, uh, it very rarely is the case. So we have a little realistic reality check that we apply to. You know, that's an interesting point, because sometimes like, you know, I, I've been on the end of working through some M&A deals with just the different companies, different organizations that I've worked with. And even now in my own firm of doing some consulting and one of the questions that comes up or I think that some people ask kind of later on is like, you know, what's the dynamic of the relationship going to look like between the people working in the business and those that are investing the, you know, the equity partners or the venture partners. And like, how do you guys tend to approach, like, you know, making sure that hey, you, you don't come in and disrupt, Hey, the value that you were excited about. Yeah. When we, and this is a great point, you know, we, we talked about the accountancy, or the financial figure, uh, those numbers need to be in check. We talked a little bit about the product or the service and the user or customer experience, that needs to be in check. We developed a checklist where we're during due diligence attempting to identify, you know, does this company match up with our current holdings and more importantly, with desired future holdings? I would say that, you know, sometimes you can't put a price tag on culture. And really what you're talking about is, is there a cultural fit? <clears throat> Excuse me. Is there a good alignment between us as owner investors and them as the seller and the organization that they've run successfully for decades and that we could potentially look at acquiring? When there's great alignment when it comes to the culture of the two firms, uh, it's a piece of cake. I, I would say that things come together real quick. When there's not... Um, it probably is one of those things where, you know, not only do they have to like us, but we have to like them. It's a two-way street when it comes to M&A plays. So many times I see the M&A world, and, and I never thought that M&A transactions could occur at a level of organizations that we could afford, right? I always thought that this was the, this is the space of the IBMs of the world or the Facebooks. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't something that somebody in my position with our little PE firm that we could potentially go out and acquire firms, but it, but it does happen at our level. And like I said, though, when it comes back to, is it worth pursuing? It's a two-way street and it's really a barometer of culture. Do we have good cultural alignment and fit and can we work together moving forward? Amazing. Awesome. So, you know, speaking of, you know, your firm and the amazing work that you guys do, how can people find out more about you online? Because I know we were talking before where there is a ton of value that you guys you know, share. So how can they find you guys online? Yeah, our, our nature and my nature is to help. And so we, you know, people say that maybe it's complimentary consultation where we give stuff away. But we look at it like, you know, hey, look, if again, it's a two way street. If you like us and we like you, we might have the opportunity to work together, and we probably should. 
but it's got to be that two-way street. We'll give away the information and go take it. One of the things that we put together on our business transformation consultancy is a 37-page, 128-question business transformation self-assessment workbook. You can download it for free. We'll put the link in the show notes so that way people can drive to it. Uh, and they can access it and they can take a look at how it is that they can transform their business, regardless of what stage your business in is in. It could be a fairly new entrepreneurial venture. It could be the one that we should talk if you're a million dollar post revenue uh, and you're looking for some assistance. Uh, it could be an M&A type of a play where maybe it's an organization like I mentioned, where it's 30 years in the making. There's plenty of tips, techniques and tricks within that self-assessment workbook to help any entrepreneur out. Uh, on the other side, I mentioned we have a, I've taught at the university level. I have a 501c3 nonprofit that provides executive education. We call it the Javelin Institute. There's a whole lot of spear throwing going on here <laughs> at, at, in my mind. Uh, but I'm a, I performed, I was an NCAA athlete and undergrad. So that's probably where it comes from. Uh, but at the, over at the Javelin Institute, we provide a best leader in 30 day program. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes. Would love to have entrepreneurs or just leaders that are looking to lead better in 30 daily segments of two minutes or less. It'll act as the orienter for your day so you can go and become the best leader in, in a short 30 day time period. Awesome. Awesome. That is amazing. Now, before we wrap up, one question I like to ask every guest that comes on to me, when you think about, you know, your experiences of where you've been and you think about where you are now. And I mean, it, it's amazing that you have, you know, the foresight of, hey, your 20 year plan going forward, you know, what's two pieces of advice that you would share with other entrepreneurs and business owners? Yeah, I, I think two pieces of advice, and this is it's a great question. Um, the first one is, is that if you can really, and I don't believe in if you love what you do, you'll never truly work a day in your life. But, but I would say this much. One, you gotta you got to like it, right? Love is an awfully strong word. It's like hate. I think you've got to like what it is that you do, right? I'll go that far. The second piece of advice, we talked a lot about business, but I will tell you this much. The most successful business leaders I know have an equally successful personal life that balances their professional life. They'll never be 50-50, right? Everybody's always looking for that work-life balance. Uh, I would argue it's always going to be imbalanced. You're going to work more than you get to spend in your personal setting. But you gotta have a great personal setting. It'll, it'll allow you to scale new heights. You'll have greater clarity when you achieve those heights. You'll make your best decisions if your personal world is in its best position possible. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on, being a guest, sharing some amazing insight about, you know, the great work that you do, your journey and the wisdom that you share with us. It's been a pleasure having you on. Likewise. Thanks so much. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Finance and Accounting Show. If you like what you heard, don't be selfish. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and then share this with a friend because you know a business owner that could definitely use this insight. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, share it with a friend, and turn on the notification bell so you get all the updates when we release a new episode.